been with us, we started a series a couple of weeks ago. We're walking through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, with about 16 key passages. And we're just kind of walking our way through it and saying, okay, this is, this is building the story from Genesis to Revelation. Um, we talked about the idea that in Genesis chapter 1, God creates a kingdom. And in that kingdom, he is king. Uh, and as king, he has a right to do with that kingdom whatever he wants. And we talked last week about one of the first things that God does is God puts a man, um, Adam and Eve, in that creation, and he allows them to be his image bearers in that kingdom. And we talked about the idea that Adam's job was to subdue, to multiply, to um, represent God in that kingdom. And that's kind of where we left it last week. And we talked about the idea that you and I have a responsibility when we go out into the world each day, to represent, to be image bearers for God, to reflect Him in the way we speak, in the way we handle things, in the way we interact with people, to be a proper reflection of God to the world. And we talked about that last week. This morning we're going to zero in a little bit on Adam and Eve, and we're going to watch the choice they made that changes God's kingdom dramatically. And so... Um, that's where we're going to pick up our story. I'm going to actually go back and zero in on, on um, Adam and Eve and lay out a couple principles, and then we're going to look at the fall in specifics. And then next week we're going to look at the idea of how the cross goes is shown all the way back even in Genesis chapter 3. So this morning, let me lay it out in Genesis chapter 2, and here's what it says about Adam um, in the garden originally. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to care for it, care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You're free to eat of any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord had formed out of the ground all the, all the wild animals and the birds in the sky. He brought them to man to see what he would name them. Whatever he called them, each living creature, that was its name. Now, that would have been an incredible task, I think, um, which shows me something about God and creativity on our part of it, that God created us as creative beings, um, for Adam to have to name all these things. But it says, so the man was given names to all the livestock, birds of the sea, wild animals, but for Adam no suitable helper was found. Those of you who are dog, cat lovers, Sorry. All right, um, good enough. Um, it wasn't enough, all right? So he moves on, huh? Yeah, it wasn't enough. So going on, here's what he says. Um, next one, guys. Oh, did we lock it up? Boom, there we are. So the Lord God caused man to fall in a deep sleep. While he was sleeping, he took one of man's ribs, and he closed up the place of the flesh. Then the Lord God made woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. This is the idea that God took it. From, her side, from his side, because they were to walk together in marriage. Um, it's not the idea of didn't take it from his head so she could be above him or from his foot so that he could walk over her. It's from his side. They're to walk together as one in life. That's the whole concept of two becoming one, the one flesh kind of thing illustrated in Genesis. So notice what it says. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of the man that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife they become one flesh adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame we're talking about that that's significant um here's the thing um when god creates adam let me 
lay out a couple of principles that are going to be very important, I think, for life. I share these with teenagers. I share these with parents. I share this with everybody I can because I think this is fundamental to understanding how God created us. When God creates Adam, what's the first thing he does? Go back to the passage in Genesis chapter 2. What's the first thing God does? He gives him a job. You get that? No sin. God says, here is a perfect world. Job. By the way, if you know anything about eschatology, the end times and all that kind of study, we have jobs at the end of this thing. So, flash, news flash. When God creates a perfect world that involves a job, responsibility. And at the end of the world, time, God has jobs and responsibilities. Heaven, I believe, we got jobs. We've got jobs. I can tell you what mine's not going to be. Okay? Singing. I can tell you right now, you know, I'm not going to be a choir director. I just know that, okay? Um, yeah, no, 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 I know that. God and I have got a deal. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> God's not going to do that to people. Uh, although, you know, everything would be perfect then. But anyway, here's the idea. God says, look, when I create a perfect world, the first thing I give man is a responsibility. And you need to understand that because we think that that's not a big deal, but that's a huge deal. Because what happens? God sets it up, and he says, okay, Adam, here's your job. You take care of the garden. You keep it. You subdue it. You multiply it. You spread it out. You be my image bearer. Adam, that's your job. That's what I need you to do. And then what's the next thing that God does in this passage? you remember? What does he do? Throw it back up. Throw back up the one right before this. Notice this. You, you take care of it, and then he said what? You can't eat. So God next sets up a rule, a restriction. God says, okay, Adam, here's your responsibility. Here's what you're, you're supposed to do. Adam, here's the rule. Here's the restriction. Here's what you're not supposed to do. Adam, there is a tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Can't eat it. And this is very important. God doesn't say you can't touch it. Adam, Eve's going to add that to it. God says... You can't eat of that tree. Adam, everything else is yours. But that tree, that's off limits. So follow this now. There's a God-given responsibility, job. There is a God-given restriction, rules. What's the next thing God gives him? Huh? He, give, he gives him a woman, okay? He gives him a woman. Why is he giving him a woman? Because here's right. Follow this, because this is a principle. This is what I want you to understand. He gives him a relationship with a woman. Now follow this, because this is what's important. As long as Adam lives according to his God-given responsibilities and his God-given restrictions, then Adam enjoys relationships as God designed for them to be. You follow that? Let me say it again. When he follows his responsibilities, lives within his God-given restrictions, he has the right kind of relationship. 
This is a universal principle from God. Kids, listen to me for a minute. When you will fulfill your God-given responsibilities that your parents give you, and you will obey their God-given restrictions that they have put on you, the relationship with your parents will be what it's God intended it to be. You follow that? Responsibility plus restriction equals the right kind of relationship. If you drop the ball on either one of these, the relationship is affected. And that is so important. Husbands, wives, you function within marriage according to your God-given responsibilities. And you function within the restrictions that are put upon a married relationship. Um, then you will have the right kind of relationship that God intended within your marriage. You violate one of those two, and the relationship is affected. That's why that's, we call them affairs. It's adultery. It's sin. That's why it's so devastating. Why? There are certain restrictions on marriage that says this. It's about a husband and a wife. Period. Nobody else is to enter into that relationship. That's the restriction. When I got married to my wife, you know what I said to all the other women in the world? You can't have me. <laughs> and my wife went, and I'm stuck with you now. Um, no, I mean, I mean seriously. Uh, why? Because there was a God-given restriction that said, emotionally, physically, spiritually, mentally, whatever else, I'm devoted to her. The restriction is, we are one, so therefore, everybody else is off limits. And as long as I can function in my God-given responsibilities and my God-given restrictions, we'll have the kind of relationship that we should. When I deal with married couples and couples who are going to get married, one of the big issues that I struggle, that, that I deal with right off the bat, is unrealistic expectations. And I sit down with a couple and I say, tell me what your expectations are of marriage. Oh, it's going to be wonderful. And we're going to, it's going to be, every day we get up, it's just going to be rainbows and butterflies. And I go, really? Okay, we got some work ahead of us. Um, why? Because one of the big issues in marriage is unrealistic expectations. So one of the things that I do with couples is I try to get them to understand, tell me your expectation of this relationship. Tell me your expectation. Tell me what you think their responsibilities are. Tell me what you think her responsibilities are. And then we start working. Because what I have found is they rarely ever match up. And so we need to, early in the relationship, define what are the responsibilities. So in some marriages, it's like, uh, in, in some, and I've done, I've done this with my kids, I've done this with her. In some marriages, like for my wife and I, okay, um, here, here's a question. Whose responsibility is it to do dishes? You, believe it or not, you've got to define that within your marriage. And some of you, it's like, well, whoever does it. And for some of you, it's like, well, that's the woman's job. I have an email. You can email me anytime, but we need to talk. All right? Um, and, some, and, and some, you know, well, it's my husband's job. But a lot of marriage issues come uh, get batted about because the responsibilities are not defined. They go into it thinking it's the other person's job. 
You know, my wife and I, we struggled with this a couple years ago. Um, she came to me. Uh, here's the way it is in our house. My wife, I'm numbers dyslexic, okay? You really think I'm the guy that should be handling the checkbook? I mean, really, okay? She's been a bookkeeper for chiropractors. She's been a bookkeeper for uh, automobile dealership. She, 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 she's got that kind of brain for stuff like that. She's OCD. Um, she's a kindergarten teacher who focuses on little details and stuff like that. I'm a generalist. I just want to get the big picture kind of thing. So in our world, so we've decided she's the one who's best qualified to make the decisions for us when we're talking about do we have enough money to do X or Y or Z. So I would come to her and i go, hey, look, honey, um, you know, I, I, I want to do this. Do we have enough money for doing that? And she would go, no. And I'd be, okay. That was fine. But what happened was, yeah, yeah. no, 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 I learned. You, got a lot, you may have a lot to learn here. I don't. Um, She'd go, no, and I'd go, okay. Now, here's what happened, okay? So that was the deal. But we started talking, and what we found out was she was getting very frustrated because she felt like she was always saying no. And she's like, I, you know, and I didn't, like, look at her and go, you're a dream killer, woman. Um, but, I mean, you know, she was having to, <laughs> she was having, wow, man, I'm getting close, getting too close. But. I mean, I mean, seriously, so what would happen is, so I had to sit down, we had to sit down and have this talk, and I said, look, honey, my job is to make sure that we have the money to do stuff. Your job is just to tell me where that money is so I know whether it's a yes or a no. There is no reason for you to feel bad because we can't do it. That's my job to get more money if that's what we need because we need to do it. It's my job to pray for that. It's my job to take care of that. I don't look at it as you're the bad person here. And once we really sat down and had that, man, I got really close with this illustration. Didn't I? Once we sat down and had that discussion, things went so much smoother. Why? Because we figured out what were our God-given responsibilities here. And once we had defined that, it impacted greatly our relationship down the line. This is really important for us to understand. When God set up Adam and Eve in creation, God sets them up. He says, here's your responsibility. Here's your restriction. And as long as you do those two things, we're going to have a great relationship. Now, let's go to Genesis chapter 3, because now it's all going to change. Here's what it says. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals, the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat of any tree in the garden? Now, let me stop here for a second. Apparently, at this point, we assume snakes could talk. Because it, it, this doesn't rattle her cage. It's not like, and, and I was walking in the cool of the day, and the serpent talked to me, and I was like, oh, a snake talked to me. It, it, it's like it's no big deal at that point. So it's not something that takes her by surprise, according to the text. It's like a common thing, and I don't understand how all this works, but that she's not surprised by this. And notice what he says. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees of the garden, but God did say you must not eat of the, free, of the tr fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And here's what happened. And she adds to God's word. And you must not touch it, 
lest you die. Now listen, this was a pivotal point because she added to God's word or she had misunderstood what Adam told her. Now, let me back this up because a lot of people like to look at this thing and go, see, it was the woman. The problem's always been the woman. The woman's who messed this thing all up. No, 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 no. Let me give you some Bible insight for you to think about for a minute. There's a little bit of debate on this, but here's what I believe. When God creates the garden, and when God tells Adam to take care of it, and when God says you can't eat of the tree, Eve's not in the picture yet. Adam is. I think Adam is the one that has to tell Eve what God said. And either Adam got it right and Eve added to it, or Adam added to it when he told Eve about it. But it even gets worse. You go, well, it still, see, it's still the woman. She added to it. I know, it's just the woman that messed this thing up. Oh, no. Read your text carefully. Notice what it says. You must not eat of the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He said, no, no, God's hiding something from you. God doesn't want what's best for you. God knows that if you do that, you'll be like him. He doesn't want you to be like him. So really, he has his interest in mind, not yours. And notice what, she, and notice what he does. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate. At this point, Satan takes this fruit, whatever it is, and eats it in front of her, and nothing happens. And I'm sure it was one of those, ooh, 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 wow, you know. You know know how you do when you want your kids to eat vegetables, you know. No vegetable tastes like what you do when you're trying to get your kid to eat vegetables. I'm sure that's what Satan did. So Satan plays this up for her. And then notice what happens. And this is very important. We missed it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. Who was with her. Now, if Adam didn't add to it, why didn't he stop her right back there, way back there, and go, oh, God didn't say we couldn't touch it. Why was Adam Mr. Passive? Why was Adam standing off to the side the whole time this is going on, going, hey, you take it, honey, I'm just going to stand back and watch. This ain't about Eve being the bad person here. In fact, the New Testament is going to say this. There's actually a difference between Adam and Eve. And that Eve was deceived. Adam deliberately chose. So you really want to put the emphasis where it needs to be. <coughs> this ain't an Eve thing. This is an Adam thing. And either Adam failed 
to communicate to his wife that which God has explicitly said, or he failed to confront her when she added to the scripture, standing in front of Satan. And at any point, when she goes to taste it, Adam doesn't stay. Whoa, whoa, stop, don't do that. She goes, hey, honey, you want a bite? And he goes, sure. And everything changes at that moment. God's kingdom designed perfectly. Designed for Adam and Eve to be image bearers in it. They decided to not reflect the image of God. And instead, they chose sin. And it all changes. And you know the rest of the story. The eyes of both of them were open. They realized they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. For the first time in history, Adam and Eve saw something wrong with openness and honesty. And for the first time in history, all of a sudden now we need to cover, we need to hide. And when God comes to meet with them in the cool of the day, Adam and Eve are hiding. And God says, what have you done? And Adam has to fess up what they have done. And then, again, I, I want you to picture it. If you know the rest of the story, you know what happens. God comes to them and says, what have you done? And they said, you know, we, we, we ate of the, you know God says, you, you ate of the tree, didn't you? And he went, yeah, we did. And then follow this, God then brings over an animal. And he sets, I believe he sets it in front of them, and he wa- they watch as he slits its throat. And they watch as he skins it. And then he hands them the skin of the animal and say, here, cover yourself with this. Just a minute, Eve, I'll make you one too. And for the first time, they watch something die. For the first time, they see something die because of what they did. And God's laying out what's going to have to happen now, big picture. And so they wrap themselves in this. And by the way, if any of you have ever skinned an animal or you've seen an animal skinned, believe me, most animal skins you don't want to put on immediately after you've skinned it. But they have wrapped themselves now in this animal skin, and God says, no more. You had a responsibility, you had a restriction, you didn't fold. Now our relationship is affected, and you have to leave the garden. You can't be here anymore. And the Bible says that God in his judgment has to throw them out. And God throws them out of the garden. And then the Bible says God takes two flaming swords and cherubim and puts them in front so they can never come back in again. And we look at that and we go, why, that's so harsh. No, no, no. Here's the understanding of it. That's God's mercy. Because the text will tell us that the reason God does that is because of the tree of life. See, there were two trees, two, two main focus trees in the Bible, um, in the garden. One is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The other is the tree of life. You don't see the tree of life again until the book of Revelation, and we see it in heaven. Many Bible scholars believe that what that means is this. They believe that had Adam and Eve eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and then eaten of the tree of life, they would have been forever condemned under sin, eternally. 
And that God in his grace and God in his mercy says, you can't go in here to eat of this tree. There's going to have to be made another way for you to eat of that tree. That's why it's so important when Jesus comes onto the scene to say, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And we see that tree of life again in heaven where we partake of it freely. And that's because it's not an animal that we shed. It's Jesus Christ who shed his blood for to cover our sins because Jesus illustrates right off the bat, sin has to be covered with a blood sacrifice. Something has to die. And so you see that picture in, in Genesis. Um, okay, let's talk about, all right, that's the story. Um, let's talk about how it applies to us. A couple of takeaways. Here's the first one. Um, you need to understand this, that sin changes everything. You know, when somebody gets sick, when somebody dies, the question I often get asked is why. And I don't understand, why did this have to happen? This is where as a pastor, your head knows one thing and your heart knows another thing and you're trying to t- talk to people to their hearts, not their heads. But can I ver- be very cold, calculated, and just deal with it from a head thing? Because of sin. You want to know why it happened? You know why we have a hospital? Because of sin. You know why we go by a cemetery? Because of sin. You know why we have funeral homes? Because of sin. You know why we have divorces? Because of sin. You know why we treat each other the way we do? Harshly and mean and cruel and say things that we wish we should have never said? Because of sin. You want to know why we're selfish? Because of sin. That's the short answer. The short answer is God didn't want it this way. God didn't design it this way. God didn't determine to build it this way. It was perfect until man chose sin. Until then, it was life as God intended it to be. And the whole point of the cross is not just a redemption of us, but a redemption of his creation to be what it ultimately should be. And you need to understand that sin changes everything, and we have to be so careful. You know, we're, we're in this culture where we like to give sin these pretty words. You know, you know we, we, well, you know, they slipped. It was an affair. Really? No. It's sin. It's adultery. It's what it is. Let's call it what it is. Well, you know, mom, dad, it wasn't, it's not like it was a, a lie. It was like a half-truth. No, it was sin. It was a lie. It was sin. And, you, and we have covered this stuff up. You know, we, we, we call it an alternative lifestyle. No, it's sin. The Bible calls it that. Oh, but that, that's such a harsh word. Yeah, you know how harsh it was? It's harsh enough that Jesus left heaven to die on the cross so that it could be fixed. That's how harsh it is. Well, I think God will overlook it. Then you don't understand the cross. God can't overlook it. God has his own creation who he's spending time with every single day, and he has to look at him and say, you know what? We can't do this anymore. Why? Because of sin. Sin destroys. Sin robs. Sin steals. That's all Satan wants to do in your life this week. Get get it in your head. Satan has one goal for you today. One goal. 
to steal, kill, or destroy something in your life today. That's all he wants to do. He doesn't care about you. He never had. He didn't care about Adam and Eve. All he wanted to do was steal, kill, and destroy. And when it's all said and done, it destroyed the relationship. It robbed them of everything. And because of sin, it separates. They're going to ultimately die now. Make no mistake about it. Don't take sin lightly. Because it is, there's nothing, there is nothing redemptive about it that will help us. And, and we've got to understand, that's what Satan's out to do every day in our life. In this case, it ruins that which God has intended. We're going to talk about next week about sin demands judgment. We're going to, we're going to talk about, even in Genesis chapter 3, God lays out the plan. But the other thing, I think the other thing in this story that, 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 that I take away from and that I look at and go, you know what, that we've got to understand this is the question that, that, that Satan starts with. He starts with the idea of, what did God say? And the implication is this. Is God really good? Ultimately, that's the implication of his question. Is God really good? No, no, no. See, the reason he told you that you can't eat of that tree is because God's holding something back from you. The reason is because God doesn't want what's best for you. God's, got, God's trying to keep something away from you. And ultimately, Adam and Eve sit there and question whether or not God is ultimately good in providing the best for them. And so they have a choice. Do they obey God's restriction or do they choose their way? And Satan deceives Eve to think, that that way is better than God's way. And Adam chooses. Adam looks at her and says, yeah, I'll take it too. We're in this together, baby. Hear me this morning. I think one of the things that happens to Christians is subtly we fall prey to this. That subtly the same sin that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden is something that Christians struggle with on a regular basis, and that's this. Does God really want what's best for you? Is God really good? Or is God holding something back from you? And I think ultimately one of the questions that people start struggling with, we go through a difficult time. What's the first question we ask? Why, God? Why did this happen to me? I understand human nature. Please get, get me. I understand that. It's a question with my buddy I ask often. But I follow it with this question. How can we honor you through this? Because the why question sends me down a path that if I'm not careful will take me away from God, not towards God. The how question focuses on what I can do to honor God through what I'm going through. The why question if I'm not careful, will send me down a path away from God because ultimately the answer is God's not good. And I, I say this often, but I really think life is about focus and perspective. And I think sometimes we in our, in our modern day 2015 world really lose focus and perspective about what's important. 
And we're spending so much time on stuff that doesn't matter. And we're spending so much time and energy over things like, you know, well, you know, I'm upset with my spouse because, I mean, they didn't make the eggs the way I wanted. Really? That's your biggie? Well, you know, they didn't do this, and they didn't do that, and, da, 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 and I'm looking at it going, you know, or, or, you know, I can't believe, you know, I can't believe we're, we have so many problems financially right now. We can barely make the house payment on our $400,000 house. I mean, you know how tough it is? And I'm going, you know, 90% of the world would be happy to have a piece of tin over their, their house, their, their, their roof at night. And we become so spoiled, and so, and we've lost perspective, and we lost focus. And, and here's what's helping me now. Here's what I'm do, Here's what I do. I'm just telling you how I'm handling it. When I start struggling with something, I'm starting to ask this question: Is that a first world problem, or is that a third world problem? And I'm starting to realize that about 90% of the stuff that I get bent out of shape about are first world problems. And really, I just don't have a right to get upset over first world problems. Because most of the world lives in the third world problem category. You realize we flush our toilets with better water than most people in the world drink? Really? And we want to, we buy water in bottles because we don't want to go to a faucet to turn on the faucet. Come on. And I think we have got to get back and step back and take a really good, hard look at what we have been given and how much that we have and understand that God has been so good to us and we don't deserve it. Most of the things you and I go to a doctor for and get penicillin for kill people in other parts of the world. And what do we complain about? Well, you know what my copay was on that? You know what my deductible is going to be this year because we went to the hospital now? Am I making sense here? Satan comes along to Adam and Eve and says, is God really good? Did God really say, God's holding stuff back from you. God's got more. And you know what? You need to just go take it. And I'm afraid for some of you, you have changed your view of God because life hasn't worked out the way you thought it should. But even in the stuff that you have going on in your life, can I remind you that it's a first world problem? And God has been incredibly good to us. And sometimes I think we become so ungrateful and we don't realize that we are making ultimately the same choice that Adam and Eve made when, they, when Satan got them to question, is God really good to you or is God holding something back from you? And we subtly go down that road and we don't even realize it.
My challenge for you this week goes something like this. God's original kingdom was not impacted or influenced by sin. It was a perfect kingdom. But when faced with a choice to trust and obey God, Adam and Eve chose their way over God's, and it forever changed this world. They failed to realize that God designed and desired only the best for them. Don't make the same choice this week. Obey, trust, and love Him this week. And appreciate the fact that God has been incredibly good to each of us sitting here. Let's pray. Lord, it's so easy to lose perspective and focus. God, it's so easy that as we go through our lives, we start griping and complaining about things that most of the world would love to even have as a problem. Lord, you have been more gracious and more good to us than we could ever have imagined. And Lord, we have become ungrateful people. So Lord, help us to correct that this week. Help us to value and treasure how much you have done for us. And Lord, if there are people here this morning, Father, who've never put their faith and trust in you, Lord, they never realized what their sin has cost them. Never realized what it cost you. Would they help them to realize, Lord, that you provided a way to pay for that? And Lord, it's far better than the animal that died to provide a covering of, uh, over people. But Lord, you've covered our sin for all of eternity. So help us to understand. And uh, Lord, help us to live different this week. And we'll give you the honor and glory and the praise. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Let's stand together.